Today's swap a number is four. That's the number of sections of contract 2020 that we have dedicated to scheduling and work rules. That tells you how important scheduling is to our pilots because it directly impacts their productivity, pay, and quality of life. Since Section 6 negotiations resumed in the spring, SWAPA has painstakingly walked labor relations through our scheduling proposals line by line. With those sections completed in June, we thought we'd bring back frequent guests Scott Plyler and Megan Nealon from SRC to review with us some of the many improvements SWAPA is seeking contract 2020. I'm Amy Robinson. I'm Kurt Heideman, and here's our interview with Scott and Megan. Okay, so our first question is, why did the NC start with scheduling? Well, uh, everything in scheduling affects pay and productivity, quality of life. So it seemed like the obvious place to start. Also, it's been a little bit neglected in previous contracts as everybody focuses on the the pay. Um, But obviously scheduling affects all of those things. So I start with that and depending on the response and how much we're able to improve things with scheduling will kind of drive what the pay asks are later. If I can add as well, the timing of being able to go over some of the scheduling proposals, some of that can actually be implemented today. And it's no secret that there are a lot of challenges that we're seeing in the system. So being able to deliver some of the message right now, it's actually really good timing to have those kind of conversations and maybe even see some progress before we can codify this. We certainly pulled up uh, several examples. They're not really hard to find, you know, some people say we try to cherry pick examples to go through, but I mean, you can't turn around and just find it. Every pilot out on the line sees it every single day when they get reassigned. They, you can just look at it and say, yeah, that's not going to work. So, um, or they're really questioning, well, why am I doing two deadheads to do one leg to do two more deadheads to an overnight when I had a pairing that wasn't even broken to begin with? It, you know, out on the line, it doesn't even make sense. And it's not hard for us to find examples. We don't really even have to look. So all of those excess um, deadheads and everything that's happening during execution, sort of, I, th- I think SWAP's position is that that's driving our overmanning. Is that true? That's certainly driving a, a bunch of the overmanning. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. You, know, you see the inflation of deadheads and uh, of duty periods uh, for unnecessarily splitting things when, um, you know, to have it covered by a reserve or when... You could obviously have somebody fly that for premium and it's done. The trip stays together the way it was planned originally, you know, with a lot of the the buffers for connections that protect the operation. So um, when you start adding the deadheads and the crew connects, uh, you add to your manning uh, that's required as well as you, you create a lot of fail point, a lot more fail points in the operation, not just for the crew, but, you know, the operation itself. I think we've been pretty consistent in our messaging that They should be working to protect pairings that aren't broken. Don't break something that doesn't need to be cut or split um, or changed because it was well optimized in the planning process. And as Scott said, you you end up introducing potential disruptions when you start making those type of changes that didn't need to happen to begin with. It's really funny that actually one of the the tenants of their negotiating uh, from the company is to protect the operation and protect on-time performance. So we've tailored our briefs to that, and, and it's 
no surprise that, you know, since uh, we were giving these recommendations since 2017 um, and what our pilots see out on the line, we're, we're trying to protect the operation as well as make our pilots quality of life better. I know some of the the issues that are that are occurring right now are, you know, the summer it's based on the summer schedule, but explain how some of the proposals that we had in negotiations could actually have very specifically helped out with some of the the situations they're facing right now. Well, we we probably need to um, address the summer schedule on how how we got here to begin with. Right now, there are we're so we're in the month of June right now. There are about 500 pilots who either from an early recall or an extension recall or an XTO2 recall, over 500 pilots going through requalification training. In July, you have another 380-ish, so you're talking close to 900 pilots that are transitioning through a training, and when they go to training, that means that they're they're not flying, they're not qualified to fly. We, we did an analysis on this, and you're looking at upwards of 80% of that flying falling back into open time. Yeah, we started out with a very dense schedules to begin with in the bid lines. And then when you have you know, almost uh, 10% of your pilots having most of that flying pulled and dumped into blanks and then open time, and they're not available to fly open time or pick up extra, um, it, it really uh, it really skews what the results are as far as uh, you know the online reassignments and the JAs because you just don't have pilots available. They're not legal. Uh, we're seeing an awful lot of that. Uh, they call it JA done, where something goes through open time and VPF, and they can't even find somebody to JA for it because nobody's legal, and it falls into a reassignment for somebody into an unscheduled overnight, and that's why you see a lot of those DT legs that pay double time now. It's just that there's nobody legal to fly anything, right? You hear a lot from flight ops, uh, their metric being the uh, number of pilots per aircraft. But then when you have a situation like this where, you know, a good 10% of, of your work group isn't available for a full month of flying, pilots per aircraft is an old broken metric. It, it doesn't tell the whole story. I did read the other day that, that Delta is looking at hiring a thousand pilots next year based on Based on some of the things that we've we've seen in the industry, my assumption is that at some point Southwest would probably start looking at that too. But is that necessarily the right move for Southwest? I think everybody knows that uh, Swapa's position prior to pandemics uh, and uh, max grounding is that we were we were trending towards uh, overmanned. What we don't want to see is that we fall back into that again, uh, just as a knee-jerk reaction to problems that we're seeing that are, you know, honestly kind of company and network induced for the summer. You know, just because there's a lot of JA the summer doesn't mean that we're undermanned. We're artificially undermanned because we don't have enough pilots that are actually here and trained, even though they're, you know, part of our family still. So we know that, uh, you know, uh, the VP of flight ops, he's, he's put out that uh, they're looking at doing some hiring potentially by the end of this year. Uh, if the flight schedule continues to increase, you know, in robustness, you know, getting up to 37, 3,800 flights a day, there might be some need for that. Um, they definitely have to bring back the, the XTO pilots as well, but there is a little bit of lead time for new hire pilots. It takes them two and a half months to actually get done on their UOE before they start bidding a line, whereas somebody coming back from XTO nominally should take two weeks. Uh, so you might see some uh, some new hires mingled, mingled in there with uh, some of the XTO returns. 
Well, and going back to, you know, the, the 2020 proposals, a lot of those were with the, uh, the intent of running a leaner staffing model. We feel that holistically going from the planning to the executed schedule, if they were to make a few changes that they could actually run their schedule with fewer pilots than what they were doing, you know, 2018, which is our, our baseline that we've been using to compare. So there's, there's the opportunity there between bringing back more of the pilots that are on XTO and then implementing a few changes to how they manage the schedule uh, where we could probably slow down on any hiring plans. I know we've talked about this before, but just for the listeners, uh, tell us why we're using 2018 data. Well, we're trying to use 2018 data because it was, it was more of a, a normal year. Let's let's say we didn't have record JAs like we did in 2015 and 2016, and we didn't have uh, artificial you know reduction in the uh, the amount of flying due to the max grounding in 2019. Obviously, COVID last year. So, we're trying to use what seemed to be more of a normal productive year. Um, but even so, the, the productivity of our pilots in 2018 you know, was still on that downward trend, even though we still had a lot of extra duty periods floating around. So um, we're trying to get back to where we can, our pilots can you know, fly as much and make as much money as they want to while mitigating you know, the actual JA. And we really feel a, a lot of that is in the execution side and how, how open time gets covered uh, as opposed to, you know, pilots just not wanting to do the flying. Well, and I will say that in uh, 2018, we were really starting to collaborate more with crew planning on some of the, the things that we actually have in our proposal of a, a lower average pairing length, um, focusing on a short pairing mix as far as, you know, turns, two days, uh, being a greater part of the, the bid packets. We were seeing improvements with the line quality, um, so there was a lot of collaboration there and a lot of that collaboration we're trying to codify in this next contract. So it, it's nice being able to go back and look at 2018 um, data and show that, hey, we were already moving towards some of these things that we're proposing to codify. So tell us a little bit about how the negotiations uh, were received based on your presentations for all of these scheduling um, pieces. Well, it certainly was a lot to digest. You know, we've done a complete rewrite. Not saying that we've totally revamped the whole scheduling system, but uh, just going through the sections, we've we've realigned it with you know the way a line pilot would think about things. You have schedule planning, you know, and bid lines, and then you move into the trading and exchange of flying and open time. And then we talk about reserves because they're kind of like the bridge between um, open time and execution. And then we have a whole new section on execution, including. A lot more, uh, a lot more parameters on, you know, how you handle deadheads, commuters, um, how JAs are handled. JAs not just you know standalone, come back tomorrow, but also you know the the uh, over unscheduled overnights into a day off. So we we definitely had a lot to go over. In general, it was uh, well received. Isn't the right word, but they were definitely in listening mode um, for a lot of it. We did have some. Uh, some really good clarification questions, and then we also had some some disagreements over uh, over some of the provisions as well. And it's it's tough because we've been again we've been doing the polling and the education and working on this language for a number of years, and we see the big picture of holistically how this works, going from you know adding some things to how you plan your schedule and how that'll feed into improving a pilot's ability to make trades and adjustments 
and then flowing into their ability to participate in open time and some of the the asset we have there that it should execute more smoothly getting them to to see how all that interplays and helping them connect the dots that's been something that we've been really striving for it's just not an easy feat yeah it's not definitely not easy when there's only a few people in the room that are you know truly scheduling experts um a, a lot of them are looking for the data and you know the simple costing answers and a lot of this isn't as simple as well this costs this much it's like well you may have to add a little more to the plan schedule but it'll help you run things smoother so you, it'll actually cost you less in the end and i know a lot of our pilots see that even just in something as like split to cover where you have a three-day pairing that if it had just been awarded as a premium trip for three duty periods it gets split and now when you add up all the premium and deadheads and rigs associated with that and uh, getting assigned to reserves and, and other exported other domiciles, it winds up costing more, not only in TFP, but more deadheads, you know, more crew connections, which are points of failure for the operation. And it's just more duty periods, which is means you have to have more manning. Well, if you had done it differently, you'd have less manning required to begin with. And a, a big tenant, and uh, I know our EFA group's done a lot of work on this, is uh, that cost to carry of that additional body. It's upwards of $100,000, you know, between benefits and, you know, vacation training, all those things, uh, just to carry an extra pilot. When does that get taken into account? Even if you save one or two TFP, if you add, you know, if it requires like another body, you know, did you really save any money and you actually uh, hurt the operation as well? Uh, talk a little bit about our exchange of flying, the part before we start actually flying the line or flying the day of flying. It's a good system we have right now. So how do we improve that even more? Well, the first part of it, I know a lot of folks have uh, issues with uh, some of the buffer limitations that were that were implemented under 117 or finally getting around to revisiting those. And uh, we do have data and we put it out in the negotiating points as well that a lot of those uh, really never come into play in execution. So that there's certainly room to uh, relax some of the buffers. That'll allow pilots a little more flexibility to trade, especially you know uh, several days out from, from the pairing. Um, we're also looking at shorting up the, that ELIT window, the, the ELIT UMRA where it gets shouted out and rolls into open time. That way pilots have uh, more flexibility to trade right up until day of because let's be honest, stuff happens you know, when you're at home and uh, sometimes it doesn't happen a week out, it happens like a day or two before. So it'd be really nice to, uh, you know, shorten up that window so you have more trading. I was just going to add that we we did an analysis on when bids are actually submitted for open time and it's usually within that last 24 hours. So anytime we were, we were looking at uh, making a change, we wanted to make sure that it wouldn't negatively impact the pilot group. So, because we're sensitive to those unintended consequences. So this would be a, um, we felt a, a win for the pilot group and then a win for, for the company too. And that a lot of, you know, close in issues, the pilots can resolve themselves through their own trading processes. So what have been some of the questions, concerns from Southwest? The term technology touch has been used quite a bit because some of our proposals will require changes to CWA. Um, it's not like starting from scratch, though. I mean, a lot of the framework is already there for for concepts that are already being used. It's just making, you know, tweaks, modifications, adding a little bit of logic. And 
the company sees that as a cost of, you know, how much is it going to cost to make that change? But we keep trying to to deliver that that's an investment in your pilot group and it's an investment in your airline that things are going to get covered more smoothly by by making those changes. Yeah, we've certainly demonstrated a few of the proposals had they been automated back when they were originally proposed back in 2017, they really would have been helping right now, uh, helping out schedulers, helping out pilots and kind of reducing some of the churn and preventing some of the JA. So it's what Herb used to say, you manage your airline in good times so you can survive in the bad times. And um, I know Casey Murray said it before, it's like we were fat, dumb and happy during the good times, the money's rolling in, we didn't invest in uh, invest in some of these scheduling systems. Well, and especially if we're going to be in a place of having a bigger pilot group and having a bigger airline, you have to invest in your technology for it to continue to be successful. Uh, another comment uh, on some of our proposals has been uh, they don't know what the unintended consequences are. Uh, in many cases, we actually can prove that what the consequences would be, like whether it's premium before reserves and open time or fully rigged open time, we have specific cases where that has been actually used by scheduling in the past several years to very positive effect where they've gotten things covered early and uh, they haven't had the JA as well. So we do have you know, multiple examples of how things have worked like that. And let's be frank, we're the pilot union. We, you know, we're pilots. We know how how we behave, how we look at uh, open time and our schedules. We have a pretty good idea of how pilots are going to interact with it. And to be honest, we have you know thousands and thousands of data points from our uh, SEP polling and survey process to to prove it. So, so Scott, that to me sounds uh, it's a little bit ironic because uh, I've heard the company also say that sometimes you know we don't get the big picture, and yet we have a pretty darn good big picture when it comes to our pilots. Well, one thing I will say, if you know, if we want to talk big picture, yes, that term's been thrown out quite a bit that, that we're lacking in the ability to see the big picture. And yet we look back at, at how the company is managing yet another crisis and we don't see improvement. We don't see any effort to change the way that they want to recover, any effort to coordinate with the union at all on, on ways that we can communicate to the membership. Uh, so, you know, we're getting the, the stories from the line that pilots are stuck at the airport for hours waiting for a hotel. They're on change 12 of their pairing because they keep reassigning people into things that are clearly going to fail. So big picture or not, if nobody's looking back at this, then I don't think they have the big picture themselves. I think every pilot on the line in the last in the last month has seen that you know, you can't get a hold of scheduling to even acknowledge your change. That's a technology touch, but man, what an investment that would have been a year ago, two years ago, four years ago to allow pilots to simply acknowledge their pairing change in CWA instead of having to wait to talk to a scheduler. The schedulers are overwhelmed at that point. And they haven't beefed up their phone systems. They haven't beefed up their, their technology. So that's just like one simple thing that w would certainly go a long way to helping out here. And why can't pilots just, is it more involved than just putting a button on CWA that says acknowledge? Is there anything else that they have to do? 
Well, there's a legality, uh, you know, issue for, uh, you know, between schedule. Both the company and pilots are responsible for their legality. So, you know, if, if you had done an engine run or if you had done a gate return, uh, things of that nature, then those things need to be annotated. But for the majority of pilots, when they get reassigned, there, there is no uh, no need for those things that don't show up, you know, in, you know, over eight cars. I remember my from my time in scheduling, the, the concern from leadership down was not putting a pilot at risk of notifying themselves of something that has a potential uh, illegality in it um, that wasn't apparent at the time. I will say that with just a few added Q&As as part of the notification process, I don't see why that couldn't be done through an app. So it could be as simple as uh, gate return, yes, no, uh, engine run, yes, no. Exactly. And click OK to acknowledge type thing. And that should have been implemented years ago. So I think one of the tenants on most of our proposals is is the drive for efficiency more than anything else. Explain that a little bit further, please. Well, uh, efficiency kind of cuts both ways. But for the pilot group, efficiency means being being able to, you know, get out there and make more money, you know, make money while you're out on the line, not having to put in, you know, too many extra days there. What we want is to have that flexibility, you know, to do that. You know, not every pilot's going to want to do it every single month, but um, we, we want that to be part of what we do. We don't want to be, you know, legality limited, uh, buffer limited, and uh, certainly we don't want to be technology limited as well. So, um, some of the stuff that we've been proposing. Uh, still allows the company the flexibility as well. We can't say we want all the flexibility and you can't, um, but we are trying to drive them to do some of the, you know, let's call it better behaviors by having some kind of cost associated with it. So they still have the flexibility to do what they need to if they absolutely have to. It's not like a, a hard no, you can't, but if you're going to, it'll actually cost more money. So you said uh, what we're looking to do is sort of create costs for uh, inefficient behavior. So adding costs to drive efficient behavior, isn't that basically the concept behind rigs? Uh, you, you definitely could say that. Um, you know, rigs are both a, a planned and, a, and an executed um, cost. So um, when you have planned rigs uh, like, you know, duty hour rig or average daily guarantee that drives the company to produce more productive days so that you're making more money per day away from home, which is definitely what we're trying to to achieve here. We don't want to have to work more days for the same amount of money, but they also come into play in the executed side of the schedule. And I know a lot of folks have said, well, why not just raise the, the duty hour rig for all these long days? Part of raising the duty hour rig is you'll actually drive drive the planning side a little bit too far. So now instead of having productive day to get the productive days, you'll have more aircraft swaps. So we've tried to add a few other items into this instead of just a duty hour rig increase, you know, things like leg change override, because that's really where the problems lie is in the reassignments that go way beyond what uh, you had originally been scheduled for. So if you had an override that paid you for legs that weren't part of your original pairing, um, and that paid above uh, above what the pairing pays. That's kind of a cost on the company. Yeah, you can do it if you really need it, but we're trying to drive them to change their programming so they don't do that as much. So there's less reassignments. So uh, this is kind of where it, the costing becomes uh, a little more difficult as we could say, well, if you had used leg change override back in 2018, it would have cost you this much, but 
in reality, you wouldn't have reassigned people as much. So it wouldn't have cost you so much. So their argument about, it, you know, how does it affect pilot behavior? Uh, our argument is how does it affect company behavior, really? Yeah, that's, uh, that's absolutely it. One of the things that we were trying to drive with, uh, you know, reserve paper day is not, not just, uh, you know, bringing reserves up to be um, not the second class citizens in terms of pay and days work, but we were also trying to drive a little more efficiency in, in the reserve manning as well. Unfortunately, they kind of went the other way with it and they've added a few percent more to the reserves as they've increased manning and as we all know, when you sit a day of reserve and you don't get used, you still get paid six now. It's not on the monthly guarantee. So in 2017, our estimated costs for that were one thing, but then, and they were pretty closely aligned with what we had actually put in our proposal and our costing in the, in the new contract. But as they added more and more manning, by the time we got to 2019, it was almost four times as much the cost because of reserve paper day. Is that because we duped them? No, it's because they changed their manning model uh, and they accepted that cost, that additional cost. So I guess my final question to you guys is, do you think Southwest is actually getting the message that you guys keep putting out? Well, they're definitely getting the message um, and we're providing data behind all of it. So it's kind of hard to ignore it. Uh, however, there still seems to be in some of the questions we get uh, a lot of reluctance to evolve the operation. Uh, we're not what we were back in 2010. You know, uh, our our operation definitely has evolved. We're doing more international. We're evolving, you know, expanding into ETOPS. Uh, there's, you know, we're flying longer stage lengths. You know, with larger and larger aircraft. You know, we have. You know, more bases now and we'll probably have more in the future. So um, our operation and our processes all have to evolve. And, and this is part of what a lot of our proposals are for. So we can remain the productive pilot force to keep our company strong and also keep our pilots quality of life up as well. And I'll just add that some of their questions are clearly clarification and trying to understand um, what our intent is and what what the vision is with, with some of these proposals. So I'd like to think that that's hopefully moving in, in a positive way for some of this, that we can get to the point where we're actually talking through how this would work and get to the point where we're ready to codify it. Our thanks to Scott and Megan for once again coming on the show. It's clear why scheduling and the company's willingness to accept some of our proposals is so critical to contract 2020. I'm sure we'll have them on again soon once we get into real negotiations with labor relations. And as usual, we want to hear from you. If you have any feedback on the podcast or anything else, please drop us a line at com at swapa.org. Let us know what you liked and what you didn't. And let us know if you have any other topics that we haven't covered that you'd like to hear on the podcast in the future. Finally, today's bonus number is 52%. That was the company's on-time performance the week that Swapa presented our full schedule execution proposal. While we understand that some schedule disruptions are inevitable, we are confident that our proposals will lay the foundation for improving efficiency and productivity, pilot quality of life and earning potential, and protecting the operation when those tough operational days do happen. Southwest 140 Mike, target morning, 1010 at 10, runway 4 right, put on. Runway 4 right, Southwest.